Grab your Bibles. Everybody stand, stand out there at Fairview. Grab your Bibles and turn with us to Revelation chapter number two. Revelation chapter number two. Uh, uh, keep in mind, the world is not going to end. <clears throat> not right away anyway. Uh, not till we're gone. Amen. Uh, I've seen a lot of, a lot of pooch mouth this morning and, 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 and lips dragging the ground and all that kind of stuff. And y'all, y'all have to realize this stuff has got to happen. It's got to happen. Uh, if, if, if the Bible is true and I believe it's true, uh, things are not going to get better. They're not going to get better. Uh, I believe, I believe that Jesus is doing everything he can to get us uncomfortable with this world. And uh, he wants us to be looking for another world. This world is not our home. We're just, we're just passing through. Amen. Revelation chapter number two. uh, I want to, I want to uh, try to encourage myself this morning or this evening. Uh, Sometimes some of you guys think that I'm just preaching at you, but most of the time I'm preaching at me. Uh, You just get the, the repercussions from it. Uh, some of the best preaching I do is when I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes you just got to do as David said, encourage yourself. Amen. But this, this particular chapter is dealing with something that I, I am, I'm seeing in a great way, uh, in the church in America. Uh, I think, I think we, we are, have you ever heard the phrase we're, we're blaming way too much on the devil? You know, the old saying, the devil made me do it. I'm thinking we're giving the devil a little bit too much credit. And with that, I think we're giving COVID a little too much credit. Uh, COVID has not damaged churches. I think COVID has just revealed some things. It's revealed some things. And, and so I want to I wanna just kind of deal with that right now. I, I believe... And, and, you know, in, in second Thessalonians chapter two, the Bible teaches about a great falling away before Christ comes, before the antichrist is revealed, there's going to be a falling away first. There's going to be people who were committed at one time. That is not the Bible talks about a great apostasy, a great apostasy, people leaving the faith. I've never seen in my entire Christian life. I've never seen as many, uh, big time Christians or Christian celebrities or for whatever you want to call it that are deconstructing their faith. If, you, if you've been watching different ones that are saying, well, they're no longer a believer. Uh, I'm deconstructing my faith. They're walking away. You know, a lot of that, a lot of that, John said this, if they was of us, they'd still be with us. And it just, it just means they never had genuine faith to begin with. But there is, there is, I believe, a, a place and a time when genuine believers are struggling, struggling and not necessarily falling completely into uh, uh, absolute apostasy, but are drifting. That's a word that's used in, in Hebrews. They're, they're, they're drifting. Uh, we, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. So with Revelation chapter number two and verse number one, if you found your spot, say amen. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, 
and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Read it with me. Because thou hast left thy first love. Say that again. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent and do thy first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for an opportunity to come with your people and to talk about your word, read it, study it, deliver it, learn it. And Lord, hopefully go apply it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll open our hearts tonight. I pray that you'll encourage us and and strengthen us, Lord. We're we're living in in perilous times. We're living in difficult days. We're living in the times that you told us about. And Lord, we need, if there's ever been a time that we need to be close to you and, and be strengthened by you, it's right now. And God, I pray that you'll use your word to open our hearts. Use your word to convict us. Use your word to challenge us. Use your word to cut deep into uh, where the problem is and put the medicine right on the spot. And God, I'll thank you and I'll praise you for all that you're going to do. We love you. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me to say what needs to be said. Don't let me forget anything I shouldn't. And Lord, don't let me say anything I should. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Touch every word, every single word that comes out of my mouth. Lord, touch every ear that they may comprehend and understand what's being taught tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. This week in our devotions with the the, the staff, to, uh, we, we have our staff meeting on Tuesday. Uh, every Tuesday morning we, we get together and we talk about what went right, what went wrong, what went good, what went bad on Sunday. Uh, what we need to do better, what we need to fix, what we need to change, everything you can imagine. And uh, we have a devotion. We study the Word every single Tuesday morning. And, uh, and as we were studying this week, uh, we, were, we were studying where Peter uh, was told and, and he said that he was going to deny him. And Peter denied the Lord. He did exactly what the Lord said. Jesus said, Peter, I know your, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. He said, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice. First, he told them all. First, he told them all that, hey, you're all going to be offended in me tonight. You're going to abandon me. You're going to run. You know, the scripture said the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will scatter. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't, didn't sit too well with Peter. He didn't like that. And he began to defend himself. Actually, he threw all the other disciples under the bus. He said, they may all be offended, but not me. I, basically saying, I, they may not love you like I love you. And he, he, he threw all the disciples under the bus and turned to Jesus and began to rebuke Jesus. Yeah. And when Jesus said, listen, listen, you, 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 listen, let, let me help you, Peter. Let me help you. And, and he, would, he vehemently, King James, vehemently, he argued with Jesus, got angry, got angry about what Jesus was telling him. And so as we were studying that, you know, one of the things that we try to do is our I wills this week because of uh, what we learned this week. 
I will, you know, because we want to apply what we learned. And one of the things that God was showing me, sometimes, sometimes we don't like what God reveals about us. God knows us. See, I, I believe, I believe when Peter said, I'm not going to deny it, I believe he is serious. I believe he meant every word that he said. He truly did not believe that he was going to deny Christ. He truly believed that he would die for us. He's the one pulled the sword, right? And, but there was something in Peter that Peter couldn't see himself. But God can. And Jesus revealed something about Peter that Peter didn't like about himself. And the first thing he did was get defensive. And so this week I, I said, my I will, uh, I'm going to believe God when he shows me something about myself. And I want you to do that today. I want you to believe him. You know, I, I, I want to I, I think that I'm at a certain place in my Christian walk and in my Christian life with Christ, but Christ knows. And sometimes we have to be like the psalmist when the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any way. Why is David saying that? David says, I think I'm okay, but I need you to check. Amen. Now, if God shows us something tonight, I need you to believe him. I need you to believe him. If God shows you that you may not be where you think you are, then believe him and let's work on it. Let's work on it. Uh, Francis Schaeffer. <clears throat> Francis Schaeffer. He once observed this. He, he, this is his observation. That the meaning of the word Christian has been reduced to practically nothing. Now think about that. The meaning of the word Christian has been reduced to practically nothing. Because the word as a symbol has been made to mean so little, it has come to mean everything and nothing. You, you, you look at people, I mean, it's, it's so easy to see on social media, people uh, living just a life totally opposite of God's word. Never darkening the doors of a, of a church, never reading the scriptures, but, but they, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I don't think they know that or, or they understand that that word don't mean what they think it means. And we've reduced it so much that, that anybody and everybody's a Christian. If you had somebody in your life and your family that went to church sometime in their life, you just claim to be a Christian. If you're not a Jew, you claim to be a Christian. If you're from a Christian nation like America, you claim to be a Christian. Well, there are so many characteristics of a Christian, a true Christian, a real Christian in God's word. Few of them. One is just a reverential fear of God. We fear God. A true Bible believing, sure enough, sold out, blood bought child of God will fear the Lord. Well, fear the Lord. But not only that, they'll have a desire to imitate him. You don't have to, this is just the intro. This is just going to be a long intro, so you don't have to worry about writing this down. I can give it to you later if you want it. They have a desire to imitate him. They want to be like Christ. They want to be like Christ. They want to love like Christ. They want to forgive like Christ. They want to be like Christ. There's a sense of holiness. They're not perfect. They're not perfect, but there is a sense of holiness. They strive to be holy. There is obedience. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
But do you know, there's one characteristic, <clears throat> there's one characteristic that is predominant. There's one characteristic that is a real priority when it comes to a true blue child of God, a supreme characteristic, if you will. And that is his love for Christ. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 says this. This is not in your notes. This is still intro. I told you it's going to be a long one. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36. Master, you remember the lawyer came to Jesus and said, what's the great commandment in the law? What's the most important commandment? Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love. Hey, come on. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. John 14, 21, Jesus said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You know, Peter went fishing. After he'd been called and commissioned to be a fisher of men, right? After the resurrection, after Jesus presented himself to him, after he had been forgiven by Jesus, you know, they had a little powwow after the denial and all that said and done. So everything should be uh, ready to go. But Peter jumps up and says, I go a fishing. Now that I go a fishing, it doesn't mean let's go catch a couple bass and, you know, fry them up for a sandwich. That means I'm going back to what I did before. Now, we know what happens. They didn't catch anything. Jesus is on the shore, tells them what to do. Uh, They cast the nets like Jesus said. They catch all the fish. Peter says, "Uh uh-oh. It's him. It's him. Bails off. Y'all know what happens. He bails off into the water, swims up. Jesus has a coal of fire, and he has fish for them. And then he has a come to Jesus. This is a legit come to Jesus meeting. So when they had dined, John 21, 15, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, feed my sheep. He saith unto him, the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Imagine all the things he could have asked Peter. But the one thing he kept over and over and over and over, asking Peter, preparing Peter for what he was going to do for him. Do you love me? Do you love me? What is the number one great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. What we are reading here in Revelation chapter number two. We know this is the Apostle John who is on the Isle of Patmos. He has been quarantined. I say quarantined. He's been exiled 
to the, this is a penal colony. This is a working colony where the prisoners went, uh, where uh, traitors would be sent and, and criminals would be sent on this island. And it was a working colony where they would go and do hard labor. And he's in his 90s, by the way. And here he is on the Isle of Patmos and God gives him this vision. And we know it's the apocalypse. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the end times. We know all the prophecy that goes along with it. But there are seven specific churches in Asia that Jesus is concerned about. And in verse number one, if, we, if you'll look in verse number one, I'm not going to do a revelation study, but I want to explain that. So if you're not familiar with it, you'll understand. It says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, the word angel means messenger. All right, messenger. There were messengers that were going to come from each of those seven churches to John. And John would write this letter, copy it out seven times and give it out to all of these messengers. They would go back to the churches and give them and deliver them this word from the Lord. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. So the angel of the church of Ephesus was the messenger. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. We know by chapter number one that those stars were the pastors of the churches. They were the pastors of the churches. He said he holds those seven stars in his right hand and walketh in the midst of the seven golden what? Candlesticks or lampstands. So he said in chapter number one that the lampstands represent the seven churches. All right. Say that with me. The lampstands represent the... The stars represented the seven pastors of those seven. Does that make sense? And so the one speaking, the one writing the letter, the one giving this letter is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm in the midst of the candlesticks. What does that mean? That means in every church, true church in America and in the world, Christ is in the midst of his church. Before you came, he was here. While you were here, he is here. After you leave, he'll be here. He is amongst his church where two or three are gathered in my name. There in the midst will I be. Now, his presence is here. He is here. Not only is he in the midst of the church, not only is he in the presence of the church, then he also holds those stars in his right hand, the hand of authority. And what he is saying there, I am in charge. I am in charge. I guide my pastors. I direct my pastors. They do what I tell them to do. The pastor is not the shepherd. He's the under shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. And he said, I'm in charge and I'm going to give directions. Now keep in mind, he's the one in charge. He's the one, he's the head of the church. He is in the midst of the church. So guess what? He knows what's going on in the church. In all seven of these letters, he is describing what issues they have. He's describing what's good and he describes what's bad and what they need to do about it. Now, how does he know what's good or what's bad? Because he's in the, he's in the midst. He's there. He knows what's going on. He knows what's in your heart. He knows, listen, all we can see is on the outside. See, he looks deeper than the surface. 
He goes all the way to the, are y'all with me? Say amen. Look at the title. Look at the title. What's the title say? Say it again. That's what Jesus is saying. I know you see this, but I need you to know I see this. Now watch this. Watch this. There were many, many good things, and we'll talk about them. Many good things that can be said about this congregation, this specific church. Uh, Looking from the outside through man's eyes, it looked like this church was really a beehive of activity. But the truth of the matter is God doesn't look on the outside, does he? He looks in the heart. God could see beyond the activity straight to the apathy. God cares not only for what we do, but why we do it. 1 Corinthians 13, 33, 13 is the love chapter. It says that we can sacrifice all we want to and serve all we want to. But if we do it without love, we're profiting nothing. Nothing. Now, as our, as our notes go, let's, let's, let's go through this slowly, starting with verse number two. Now, does everybody, is everybody up to where we're at now? What's going on? John is on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, uh, God is revealing to him the things that he's seeing in these seven churches. Now, let me say this. Everybody look at me. These, these specific seven churches are having these specific issues. Amen? But they represent the, the age of the church. The age of the church. Ephesus is the beginning. Laodicea is the end. The whole church age is represented in these seven churches, but there is specific application to each individual church. Watch this now. And each individual in each individual church, because each church is made up of individuals. So preacher, what are you saying? Everybody in here can learn something to apply to their life from this letter. If that makes sense, say amen. And so let's see what God has for us, okay? What does Jesus see? Here we find in verse number seven, he begins with the, with the approval. The approval. Verse number two. I know thy works. I know thy works. How many of y'all are glad he knows? Man, when nobody else sees it, when nobody else compliments you, when nobody else gives you an attaboy, I'm so glad he knows. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Let's look at the approval. We see he says they're a serving church. I know thy works, thy labor. And the word labor there means to toil to exhaustion. In other words, they wasn't showing up once a month, and, and, and doing uh, just a, a little token uh, bit of service, they were working hard. They were working hard evangelizing. They were working hard sharing the gospel. They were working hard uh, witnessing. They were working hard discipling people. They were working hard teaching people the word. They were laboring. And thy patience, they were not only, they were not only serving, but they were sacrificial. He says, listen, you, you has born, has born. Uh, then he says, thou canst not bear them which are evil. They were separated. They were separated. They were steadfast. 
and everything, everything in this. They didn't put up with sin. They didn't put up with wickedness. Uh, they were separated. They were not a compromising church. I mean, they were straight laced right down the road. They would, they would check people, the, the people that would come in and claim to be apostles and claim to be prophets. Uh, they would check them by the word. And when they found out that they were not, they would kick them out as liars. I'm telling you, this is an awesome church from the outside. I mean, anybody, any pastor in America, when you go to list all of these qualifications and say, sir, would you like to pastor this church? If this church was doing, if they were serving, if they were sacrificial, if they were steadfast, they were patient and they were carrying the load, carrying the burden and they were sticking to the stuff and separated from this world. Pastor, would you love to pastor there? There's not a pastor in America who wouldn't sign the dotted line. Because this is great, man. This is what they're supposed to be doing. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. But but God says, nevertheless. Nevertheless. I mean, after all of that, what possibly, what possibly could be a problem? He says this. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. We see his accusation. Under number one, the concern, we see his approval. But then we see his accusation. There was labor without what? Love. Love. There was labor without love. You see, obligation, not adoration, became the motivation. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This letter, this letter is written about 40 years after the church was, was established. Uh, Paul basically established this church on his third missionary journey. Uh, it was a product of Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla came there and were witnessing uh, uh, Paul comes along and, and, and he finds some, he finds some, uh, uh, some people, wins them, explains to them the gospel. The church is established. Uh, Apollos is, is, is a minister here and serves here. He is a very eloquent man. Uh, Paul spends three years here. Uh, uh, Timothy is a pastor here for a little while. Uh, even John, the one who's writing this, he, he spent the last uh, years of his life there before he got arrested. He is a pastor here. I'm telling you, they had the best of the best. Can you imagine having Paul as your pastor? Having Timothy as your pastor? Apollos is a very eloquent form of Paul. Then you have the apostle John, the one who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. The, 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 the disciple that Jesus loved was their pastor. Man, what a privileged church. And if you'll go, if you'll go read just go do it later. But uh, Acts chapter number 19, you'll find out the establishing of that church and in the great revival that they experienced. This is a this is a wicked, wicked, wicked culture in society that this church was established by. And, and in the midst of this church being established, they begin to bring all of their their dark arts, their magic books and and basically all their cult material, all their paganism. They came and they would begin to burn it there at the church. They were so committed. 
They were so excited. They were so on fire for God. Anything and everything that represented the world and paganism, they brought it to Paul's feet and set it on fire. And it costs a ton of money, but they didn't care because they loved Christ and they loved that God forgave them of their sin. I mean, this was such a cool revival, Brother Mark, that, that listen, they began to shut down the, the paganistic uh, silversmiths, began to lose money because there were so many people getting saved that they were losing money because they wasn't buying their idols anymore and it caused a riot. Can you imagine that we started winning so many people in town that all the liquor stores had to shut down and all the, all the everything that's, that's, that's wicked it had to shut down and it caused a riot in Coleman because we were so on fire for God, we was winning so many people. That's what it was. That's what it was. I mean, it, this is great. But this is 40 years later. Probably most of the original the original believers, the original Christians were probably dead. Paul's gone now. Paul's gone. John is in, in, in uh, he is exiled. And they're still serving. They're still working. They're still following the traditions and the and, the, and, and, and listen, we always talk traditions in a bad way, but sometimes traditions can be good. They were still working hard, but their motivation was all wrong. Their motivation was all wrong. They were doing things out of obligation, not adoration. Now, before, before you say, huh, I'll, be careful. How many times have you shown up to church on Sunday morning because you're supposed to? Not because you couldn't wait to get here. How many times has that anticipation and that excitement and that zeal, man, you wanted to do something for God, not you had to serve this week? Y'all with me? Now listen, everybody look at me just a minute. This is, this is something that I'm really learning from this chapter. Love for God is number one. It's the most important thing we could ever do. It's more important than any ministry you fulfill. It's more important than any service you could accomplish. It's more important than anything you do is to love him. And, and listen, loving him, loving him is not hard. When you, when you think about what he does and you concentrate on what he's done for you and what he saved you from and what he's doing for you and all the blessings you have, man, when you start doing that, boy, I'm telling you what, we love him because he first loved us. And the more we, we learn about what he's done for us, you can't help but love him. But it don't stick. It has to be maintained. It can waver. It can, I guess the word wane, it can wane. I mean, let's think about it. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Relationships in here. All you couples in here. I mean, there, there's times, there's times that you just, they're just, you could just, I'm telling you, you, you're just so much in love and butterflies fluttering and you just, you just want to eat them up. And then sometimes you wish you had. I need a witness. What does it mean? It, it, 
It's got to be maintained. And what we see in this church, they were still working hard. This, this was not a, but there was a problem. There was a heart problem. There was a motivation problem. Now I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. As long as we're doing what we're supposed to do, what difference does it make why we're doing it? There's a big difference. And the reason why is because God, now think about this. Think about this. The first church is Ephesus, right? I, I, we might not finish the outline, but just stay with me because I'm rolling with what's in my head. The first church is Ephesus, right? It's the apostolic church. It's the on fire church. It's the excited church. It's the blazing the trail church. The last church is full blown apostasy. Lay out to see it, right? Walking away, you're lukewarm because you're lukewarm. I'll spew thee out of my mouth. You're rich. You think you're rich, but you're really poor. You think you can see, but you're really blind. I mean, this is, this is bad, as bad as it gets right here. But watch this. That got here, but it started here. Even though they're still serving here, even though they're still faithful here, it's wrong motivation. And you see, the reason that God is so concerned with why you do what you do, because he knows this, you're not going to do anything out of obligation very long. Now, if you're doing it out of adoration, adoration will bring you through the hurricane. Adoration will bring you through the ups and downs. Adoration will bring you through a year of COVID and you can't get, you can't wait to get back here. I tell you what, this, this COVID just took away my, my religion. No, it just showed you never had it. I tell you what COVID did to me. I couldn't wait to see you guys. I loved you guys and I loved hanging out with you. I love spending time in God's word with you. And, and it, it, man, it just, are y'all with me? And, and here we see that God says, if your motivation is not right, you're not going to keep doing it. And he was, he was right. He was right. So we got a problem. Their motivation's all messed up. Let me prove it. Let me prove it. How many of y'all remember a man named Jacob? How many of y'all know that, that, that he got sweet on an old girl named Rachel? And his daddy, Rachel's daddy, was a slick individual. And he knew the feelings that Jacob had for Rachel. And he said, I tell you what, you can marry her, but you got to work seven years. And you know what he did? I'm talking about in the Bible. Not modern day Romeos, the Bible. And you know what it said about them seven years? It said it seemed but a short time. Why? Because of his love for Rachel. His motivation. And, 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 and let me tell you something, it got worse on, on, their, on their wedding night. They got, probably got a little, little too much wine and, 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 and realized when he woke up, he didn't get Rachel, he got the ugly one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cockeyed Rachel, or Leah. And y'all know the story, make a long story short, had to work seven more years, but guess what he did? Fourteen years. She, whew. She had to be good looking, amen. <laughs> what well, what was fourteen years of labor because of love? 
You see what Jesus is trying to get at? If love's not there, you're, you're in trouble. You're at the beginning of a slippery slope. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Listen, number two, number two, what could cause this to happen? What could cause this to happen? I put down a few things that he said. Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind, it doesn't say they lost their first love. You know, righteous brothers had it all wrong. You know, it, we didn't, we didn't lose that love and feeling. We left it now. And you say, well, what's the big deal? What's the difference? There's a big difference. If I lost something, I don't know where it's at. But if I leave something, I can go back to it. Don't you love when you lose something you're looking for? Say, well, where's the last place you had it? Oh, Einstein, if I knew that. You left it. You left it. But what would cause us to do that? What would cause us to walk away? What would cause us to drift away from a time and a place where we were on fire? There was excitement. There was anticipation. What, what would cause that? First of all, write this down. Our sin. Our sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1 verse 5 that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6 says if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, lie and do not the truth. Now how, how is a relationship maintained? How is a closeness and an intimacy through fellowship? But if, if we are not in fellowship, if there is sin in our life, if there is unconfessed sin, if there's habits in our life, we can't fellowship with him. We can't walk with him. Are y'all with me? So, so watch this. Matthew 24, 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the what? Love of many shall what? Wax cold. Never spend time with your spouse. See what happens. Uh, Brother Willie, can you grab me one of them tissues, please, sir? Never, never speak. Never communicate. Never fellowship. Never spend time together. Never see each other. Guess what? Your love, your, your uh, relationship, thank you, sir, is going to wax cold. Wax cold. Now, watch this. Look what it says in, in Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, watch this, and the sin, sin with us so easily beset us. What, what, what habit do you have right now that's hindering your fellowship? I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying you're lost. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're, you're not saved. But you're not as close to God as you need to be because there's something that you won't get out. And something you won't stop or something that you won't deal with. Our sin will keep us from having a red hot relationship with our God. Our sin will cause us to leave. Cause us to drift. But not only our sin, but B, our surroundings. Our surroundings. 2 Peter 2, verse 7. 2 Peter 2, verse 7. 
The Bible says, and delivered just Lot, just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, now, most of the time, even growing up, when you, 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 you read about Sodom and Gomorrah, we know what Sodom and Gomorrah was, right? If you don't, just walk outside. We're seeing it modern day. First, first uh, uh, trans, I don't remember whether it was a senator or a congressperson. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, our, our country is going to hell. And when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, we think about Lot, we think about Abraham choosing the right way, Lot choosing the wrong way, and all that Lot did. We always look at Lot as this bad person. This wicked person. But that's not what the Bible says about Lot. Look what it says. Look at the word it used for Lot. For that what? Uh, Verse 8. Verse 8. For that, that righteous man dwelling among them in what? Seeing and hearing. Vexed. The word vexed means to torture. Now, here's the deal. It vexed his righteous soul. When you see, when you see what's going on in, the, in, in all of the wickedness that we are witnessing in our country right now, if it does not torture your soul, then you need to get saved. If you can watch all of this and it doesn't bother you, if it doesn't bother you what they're trying to do with our kids, if it doesn't bother you what it's trying to do with all this gender confusion and all of this stuff, listen, you you can't help but get bothered. And and the word vex, tortured. The more this stuff goes on, the less you should feel at home in this world. The more bothered you should get. Now, but watch this now. But watch this. The more you're around that, the more it wears on you. In in the dangerous, dangerous part, the more you're around it, the more you're around it, the more you get used to it. Have you ever heard the the phrase or the terminology of your eyes getting used to the dark? You walk into a room, you walk into a room, it's completely dark. You look around, you can't see anything. I mean, it's just pitch black dark, but just sit there a while. And your eyes begin to adjust and you begin to pick out things. You can, you pick, you, now you can see the chair in the corner. You can't see it great, but you can see the chair in the corner. And you can see where the bed is and start. And you're, it's not that it got lighter. You are just getting. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid there are so many Christians that have been around it. They've been surrounded by this wickedness, surrounded by the sin, surrounded by the, the vulgar talk of the world so much and so long that they have become used to it and it don't bother them anymore. Let me tell you when I know I'm really, really tight with God, the more stuff bothers me. And I'm telling you, I can tell when I'm drifting too, when I'm watching a movie and some word is said and it don't even phase me. But I'm going to tell you, when you're walking with Christ and you're spending time in the word and you're spending time in prayer and you're in fellowship with him, the least little bit of darkness, the least little bit of sin, the least little bit of wickedness will bother you. And surroundings. 
You say, well, preacher, I can't help it. I got to work in it and I got to go out. That's why he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because you're going to live in a wicked society. You're going to work in a wicked society. And the more you work out there, the more it wears on you and the more it drains you of your spiritual battery. And you need to come and get around God's people, get around God's word, get in an atmosphere where you can be in the spirit and the power of God because the days are getting wicketer. Are y'all with me? You cannot maintain this. You need to come. I I need all I can get. And so do you. I saw a great, I saw a great meme or sign or wording or whatever, just to say, it said, watching, watching the service online or with TV is like watching an electric uh, fireplace in a screen. It looks like fire, but you can't feel the warmth. Now it'll do in a pinch. And I thank God for technology. I thank God that that we can get out to shut-ins who can't get here. But I'm going to tell you this. If you're just being lazy and not getting here, you're missing out on a big portion of what you need to get. Because of the surroundings we work in, the surroundings we live in, the love of many will wax cold. I'm telling you, Lot got so backslidden. And by the way, he lost dearly. He lost his testimony. He lost his children. He lost his wife. He lost everything. Listen, our surroundings, we got to be careful. We got to make sure. We got to make sure we spend more time with God's crowd than the devil's crowd. Listen, they they left their first love, their sin, their surroundings. Here's a biggie. This this may be more people's problems than anybody. Our schedules. Our schedules. Luke 10, 38. Luke 10, 38 says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. So this is the Mary and Martha. We're familiar with them. What's Mary doing? Which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She's worshiping. And by the way, every time you find Mary anywhere around Jesus, she's at his feet. She's at his feet. And usually when you find Martha, she's in his face. Y'all remember? She's got an attitude right here we're fixing to find out. She had an attitude when Lazarus died and Jesus came in. You know what? If you'd have been here, my brother had not died. In his face. But Mary came. Watch this now. Mary said the same exact words that Martha did, but she was at his feet. Your posture means a whole lot. Mary's worshiping. Mary's worshiping. But Martha was cumbered about, means tied up, with much serving. And let me say this before we continue. Serving's important. Serving's important. Martha was doing something that was needed. 
It was necessary. You know, if she hadn't been serving, none of them was going to eat that day. So, so the serving part wasn't bad. But I'll get to it. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I want you to look at what I put in the bottom. What causes us to, to, to leave that first love? What causes us to leave or, 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 or that, that love to wax cold and, and to wane? When we're so busy maintaining responsibilities without maintaining relationship. Now don't flip your paper. I am so guilty of this sometimes. Because I got so much I need to do. So much I need to accomplish. So many people that's wanting me to contact them and talk to them and train them and help them and and it's, and it's, it's gotten worse since we've done Mission America, but, but there's so many things. And you can get so busy working for him that you stop spending time with him. And we're so busy maintaining responsibilities. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go here. I got to go there. I got to talk to this person. I got to talk to that person. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. That's Martha. And all the stuff's important. But Mary's over there maintaining that relationship. That intimacy, that closeness. And I'm going to tell you what, you couples in here, when, you, when you're so busy maintaining the responsibility, trying to pay the bills, trying to make sure this is, uh, you know, keep your head above water and all that, and you stop maintaining that relationship, it don't matter if you pay them bills if you don't have somebody else in the home with you. And, and, and leaving that first love, you're still doing it. You're there. Y'all basically partners in the house and just roommates, but there's no anticipation. There's no excitement. You're in a rut. You're just going through the motions. Oh, preacher, hot, you know, that honeymoon love don't last forever. Says who? Are, if you maintain it. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to have the dating butterflies. But I'm going to tell you this. You can have more than what you got. But I'm afraid that we've got the Martha syndrome. And we failed to be more like Mary. Mary. Mary got to experience things that Martha didn't. Now watch this. What does this look like? He said, Lord, we got to hurry. He said this. I have somewhat against thee because you left your first love. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Right? Repent and do thy first works or else. Man, you don't really want God to say or else. Right. Amen. Amen. I'll come quickly and remove thy candlestick. Now here's, here's, here's some things that we need to see. Go ahead and flip your paper now. Here's a consequence of walking away. 
here's a consequence of leaving that first love. And this is good. Now, now think, think Martha. Okay? Think Martha. All right? The candlestick, the candlestick was in the holy place. And it really, this is not really the word candlestick. It's candle or lampstand. How many of y'all have seen a menorah? That, that with the six arms, you know, the seven. Okay. It was solid gold. Solid gold. 75 pounds. This lampstand, all these arms. And it represented a tree. You know, it was beaten, could not be formed. It was at one solid piece that was beaten into shape, which represented the bruising of Christ. The lamps would stand on each one of those. They would have one of those little lamps, golden lamps with the port oil in it and put it on each one of those. And in the holy place, in the holy place, there was no outside light allowed in there. No natural light allowed in there. Only the light from the lampstand. And it represented the power of God. The Holy Spirit was the oil. You know, the light that emanated was the power of God. The, the, the stand represented Christ. The church and in, inside the church is that oil and, and it represented the power of God. Now watch this. Jesus said, without me, ye can do. And God said, if you don't repent, do what you're supposed to do and get back where you need to be. I'm going to take the, the lampstand out. In other words, he's going to come and remove his presence from the midst of the church. Now, there's a tons of churches in America that, that don't matter. Because they're not operating in the power of God anyway. They're, they're, they're operating in natural ability, which the natural light represents. Natural talent, natural ability. They have no idea about the power of God. But a church that's real, they don't accomplish what they accomplish on their own. It has to come from the power of God. And what he is saying here, I'm going to remove that candlestick. I'm going to remove my presence. I'm going to remove my power. I'm going to remove that from what you're presently doing. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now watch. What does that look like? What does it look like when he takes his power away, when he takes his presence away? Well, first thing that happens is frustration. Frustration. What does the word frustration mean? A deep chronic sense or state of insecurity and dissatisfaction arising from unresolved problems or unfulfilled needs. What happens when, when we're serving on our own? What happens when we're trying to do right by ourselves? When we're trying to live the Christian life in this old wicked world all by ourselves, we're trying to preach all by yourself. Well, first thing you're going to get frustrated. Hence, Martha. She's serving, 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 not maintaining that relationship, not feeling that adoration and that love. She's doing it. This stuff needs to get done. And guess what? She gets frustrated. Frustrated. Then after you get frustrated, if you're frustrated very long, you get fatigued. You get tired. You're still serving, but you're tired. Still showing up to church, but you're. Now watch what happens when Martha gets frustrated. Then she gets fatigued. Then, then 
She takes it out on Jesus. You just going to sit there? Don't you care? And by the way, when you get frustrated and fatigued, you think you're the only one doing anything. That's right, Red. Preach on now. Preach on. Drop that plow right there. Plow right on through that row. Amen. So how do you know that? I've been there. I've been there. Getting the mully grubs. Lip dragging the ground. You're the only one doing anything. Ain't nobody loves Jesus like you. You're the only one that's to be doing it. They only want to care about it. I'm going to tell you what. This whole, this whole Mission America thing. It, 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 I, I, there's been so many times I, I've just wanted to take pastors behind the woodshed. Getting frustrated with them. Thinking how in God's name are you even, you won't even share your faith. And I, and I, I get so busy with my responsibilities, I forget to spend time with Jesus. And I tell Jesus, hey, none, of, none of these pastors in America love you, Lord. Hello. And see, then, then after we get frustrated, then we get fatigued, and then we have failure. Failure. Ministry failure, we quit. Get out the ministry, stop doing what we're doing, stop serving, get out of church. And by the way, this happens a lot in, in people's relationships too. Pastors usually don't commit adultery and, and mess up and really fall in ministry till they get tired. And the same goes with, with relationships. We're not maintaining that relationship so we get frustrated because we're, our needs are not being met and we, we're feeling unfulfilled and we don't talk about it and we don't communicate. And, and so there's no anticipation. There's no excitement anymore. And then the devil will just tempt you with just a little bit of excitement over here. Hello. So what do we do? I got one minute and 30 seconds to tell you what to do about it. And it ain't no problem because it's easy. He said, remember. Remember. Do you remember? You remember when you couldn't wait to get to church? You remember when you couldn't wait to hear what was going to be taught that week? Remember when you couldn't wait to tell somebody what you learned? You remember when you couldn't wait to witness to somebody and invite them to church? Remember? You got to remember. You got to remember. Then he said, repent. Now see, that's the missing link. A lot of us want to remember in return. But first we got to repent. How many of y'all believe it's good to be on fire for God? How many of y'all believe to him that knows to do good and doeth it not to him it is? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we walk in darkness, hello, we can't have fellowship with him. So if we're not where we're supposed to be, if we're not where we used to be, then that's sin. And the Bible says if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. We need to repent. In other words, change our mind and confess our sin. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that, that's, the, that's the thing we like to skip. Yeah. 
And the reason we like to skip that is because we don't want to get honest about where we really are. We want to get defensive like Peter and say, not me, not me, I still love you. Really? I wonder, I wonder what Peter's response would be right after he denied him three times. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. I think he had a change of mind. Listen, let's love him. And if we don't love him like we're supposed to love him, let's remember. And repent. And do thy first works. Don't do what you was doing last week. Don't watch this. Here's the beginning. You've been serving God, serving God, serving God. I mean, it's been good. It's been great. It's been wonderful. Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, you start to slack. And from here, from here to here, you just dropped the ball. I mean, you've left your first love and now you want to remember. Remember the way it was. Now, here's what you want to do. You repent and then don't come back to here. Don't come back to this part where you started slacking. Go all the way back. And do thy couples. That means, listen, men, put your tight britches on. Go take her out to dinner. (laughs) Buy them flyers. Put that gel in your hair. Slick it back. Look good for her. Carry out to eat. Come on now. Ladies, I I figured I'd give some help right there. I'm preaching. I know I am. Do thy first words. And ladies, it wouldn't help you to kind of spruce up for him neither. Yeah, go ahead, Dad. That's your opportunity right here. Way back, can't. You know what? Here's the thing. We need to still pursue each other. I, I hate it. I hate the mentality of couples thinking, well, we're married now. I got them. You think you got them. You think you got them. There's a secretary at work that you don't even know about. And you, and you, and you look drabby all the time. She ain't. Sir, you don't never tell you love her. You don't never tell her how much she means to you. You don't never tell her sweet things. Somebody will. You better keep pursuing them. Amen. I didn't really mean to turn this into a marriage enrichment conference, but it is what it is. Preacher, I just don't, we, we're getting along good. Yeah, that's what they thought in Ephesus, but they ended up in Laodicea. And see, Jesus knew that. He knew that if they were serving out of obligation and not adoration, they would end up in full-blown apostasy. So let's, let's, let's start maintaining our relationship. We still got responsibilities. But I'm going to tell you, some of them responsibilities we can put on the back burner and, and, and spend some time in relationship. And all God's people say it.